You're listening to Culturally Speaking. This is Janice. And this is Neha. And we're here to talk about all things cultural. So today we are going to talk about something that's quite topical. And um, for people who are listening perhaps in the future, um, it is now March in 2020. And it's it's quite a challenging time for everybody around the world. Uh, we've got the coronavirus happening, and in a lot of places, there are already policies around self-isolation and even some enforced quarantine for people traveling. And we do appreciate that, you know, this is really difficult for some people, especially for those who can't work from home or are immunocompromised. Um, so we just wanted to have I guess a more lighthearted um, take on this and talk about things like how people greet each other without any physical contact around the world and other traditions from other cultures, which also kind of require self-isolation in a way, but not for the same reasons. So how do we normally greet each other when we see each other? I feel like... If we're being bougie, it's like air kisses on both cheeks. Would you agree? Yeah, or at least a hug. Yeah, I'm a bit yeah. funny about hugs, you know this. I know, we, we, we will <laughs> not talk about this any further, but no, I know. And, and I think, you know, in this country, or at least within, you know, people we know, it's very, very normal to, you know, give friends and families hugs and kisses and you know, in a professional setting, we would almost shake, always shake hands with somebody. Or if it's someone you know, then I guess you just say hi. But at the height of this coronavirus at the moment, these are obviously all advised against. So I thought I would tell you how people in other cultures greet each other without having to have any physical contact. Now, I'm going to caveat this by saying that when I was doing my research about this, Turns out a lot of cultures have um, greetings that have a lot more intimate physical contact. Um, So I've just picked the ones which definitely don't have any contact and sound interesting. Um, So have you ever seen Seven Years in Tibet with Brad Pitt? No, you know I avoid Brad Pitt films like The Plague. (laughs) Fine. So... In the movie, for people who have seen it and who are not avoiding Brad Pitt like the plague. Um, Nothing against Brad Pitt. I just don't feel like his acting abilities are typically on par, you know? They're just they're not up to scratch most of the time. Please don't hate me Fine. if you're a Brad Pitt fan. Maybe we can have another episode to talk about uh, Hollywood culture. <laughs> um, anyway, so his character encounters a group of Tibetans um, who all at once stuck their tongues out at him. Right, so no explanation is, is offered in the film, but I think that's quite a strong imagery for people um, kind of imagining this is how, how Tibetan people greet each other. Now, actually, it's Tibetan monks who stick their tongue out to greet people. They also press their hands together and place them in front of the chest to show that they come in peace. And there's a story behind this. So... In the 9th century, the Tibetan king Lang Dharma was known for his cruelty and for having a black tongue. 
And as Buddhists, Tibetans believed in reincarnation, and they feared that this mean king would be reincarnated. So as a result of that, for centuries, Tibetans have greeted one another by sticking out their tongues to demonstrate that they do not have the black tongue, that they are not guilty of evil deeds, and they are not incarnations of this evil king. Nowadays, when they meet, they will briefly extend their tongues as a greeting, so not for as long or as far out as shown in the film. And they would also never really do that as a group. So I think there's a bit of, you know, Hollywood dramatization there. Um, in addition to being and in addition to being a greeting, uh, sticking out one's tongue is also used to show agreement. And over the past few years, it's evolved into a sign of respect. So in another part of the world, in Zimbabwe and Mozambique, they clap their hands to greet people. So in Zimbabwe, the clapping of hands comes after folks shake in a call and answer style. So the first person will clap once and the second person twice in response. But apparently you need to be quite careful with how you slap your, pl your palms together. So men will clap with fingers and palms aligned and women with their hands at an angle. Now I think actually I naturally clap my hands at an angle. And over in northern Mozambique, people also clap, but three times before they say money or money, which means hello. So I think it's quite interesting that, you know, in some cultures, this is a greeting, but then kind of in the rest of the world, I guess it's almost a kind of greeting, isn't it? That you're, you clap when it's something positive. Yeah, I guess here we, it's like a sign of appreciation, isn't it? For a performance or... Yeah. If we then move over to Asia, I'm sure you're quite familiar with certain countries like Japan where bowing is, you know, very well known. Um, and apparently in India, Cambodia, Thailand and Laos, you know, we're all familiar. Even I think Trump was talking about greeting like the namaste way, right? So you put your palms together in a prayer position at heart level or higher. In Thailand, the higher you place your hands, the more respect you're showing. So I don't know how high it can be. I think it can be up to your head. Yeah, I've seen I've seen people do that. Yeah, I certainly saw that when we were there. It was people do kind of put them over their head and then bow down. Yeah, like kind of on your nose, right? Like your palms are yes, be... right up towards your face. Yeah, really. yeah. And on the other hand, in Japan, the deeper the bow, the more respect is shown but the max is 90 degrees. I was just going to ask if when you bow once, does someone respond straight away and then you bow again? Like, how, is it just you both bow at the same time? I'm not Japanese, right? So I can only tell you what I think I know and what I've experienced. So there, there is definitely, I think, a level of respect for people who are older or with more authority. So I would expect me to bow to let's say you know a Japanese friend's mum but as a form of greeting you know like a light bow but they do bow back so I, I don't think it's an infinite loop but okay there must be some kind of order but apparently no prayer hands men will always bow with their hands at their sides and the women always with their hands on their thighs among younger generations apparently like a head bow kind of like a more pronounced nod is now the new norm Remember I said to you about kowtows in the Chinese New Year episode where yes. you fully 
you know, your your knees are on the ground and you're in a child's pose. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, that's when you collect your red packet, right? From an elder. Yeah. Yeah. So that's me. What are you going to talk about? So I'm going to talk a little bit more about confinement. So depending on where you're listening in the world, um, you might have found yourself uh, already in social isolation or you may be moving towards that in the coming days and weeks. And I just thought it'd be really interesting to look at some practices around people staying home, but not for the reasons that we're doing it currently with the coronavirus. Um, And this tradition of confinement, um, specifically that I'm going to talk about today, is to do with new mothers and newborn babies. Um, It's something that I think I certainly knew about um, because within Indian culture it's common but what I didn't realize was it's actually practiced in other parts of the world as well. Um, In Latin America the word for it actually translates exactly as quarantine. Um, La quarantina I think um, is how you say it but somebody's going to correct me I'm sure uh, that can speak Spanish far better than I can but typically this period of confinement for new mothers is for 40 days. It can be 30, it can be 60 days. But really what it is all about is ensuring that the new mum and baby have a safe, clean environment in which to recover and rest for the mother and bond uh, with her baby. And there are varying traditions, because I know you also do this in China, called the sitting month so what's the what's the word in um mandarin or cantonese so in mandarin you would say or in cantonese is and it like you said it literally means to sit down for a month yes and the same expression in english was called the lying in um and so in times gone by there would be a whole month or or six weeks, I say, where women would go and stay in a specific hospital. Um, And as the term suggests, they would get lots of rest, um, they would recover. Um, The way that I know it and have certainly heard about it in Indian culture is the new mum goes to live with her parents. So she goes to her maternal home. And this is quite special because typically once you're married you don't really return uh to certainly not to live with your your maternal uh, side of the and family. we talked about this right when you said there's a whole ceremony at a wedding to say your goodbyes yes so i don't know if that episode is going to be out by the time we listen to this one but um if it's not look out for it because again there as janice has just said there's a it's a whole ceremony around uh this in the wedding but Essentially, going home to your mother's house is very special. And if you can't go to your mother's house, she will come to you and she will come and live um, in your home and she will prepare special foods for you, which are supposed to be uh, good for your recovery and if you're feeding a baby. And she will also take care of your home. So new mothers are exempt from the day to day sort of household activities and the chores of running a household and I believe it's the same um in the Chinese the the lying in period is a mother would go to a specialist center um where she's taken care of so sorry when you talked about the specialist center did you and and then you mentioned also 
here people had the lying in so did this used to happen here as well yes a very very long time ago yes it certainly did happen in england and oh we should bring it back <laughs> there was a whole hospital in london called like the lying in hospital and that's where th- these mothers would go but i know in certainly not even in just in china in other parts of asia there are specialist um i don't know if we can call them hospitals but there are certainly specialist centers that are built for new mothers and mm. um you know there's facilities for the babies to be taken care of mothers are given meals um and really their kind of purpose and their aim is for the mum to be able to bond with her baby without having to get straight back into the daily grind of you know life as it were we should definitely bring this back what's interesting though that you mentioned your mum would come take care of you and you know help you with all the house stuff and take care of you etc and actually in to my knowledge in chinese culture so number one not everybody you know might be able to afford to go stay in one of these centers but i think there are these ladies who are kind of like almost wet nurse yes um capacity and i think if i'm right even people who are not you know super wealthy can hire these people so they might be day ones you know ones that don't live in with you for the month i don't think it's the mother's um job is what i mean i think there's a special woman who does it exactly i think that's the difference i think in chinese culture this is very much you get additional help um at this period mm. either by going to stay at the center which as janice said can sometimes become very costly i read that that can be you know, anywhere up to $20,000 for a month. So it, it's not an insignificant amount of money. Um, Pretty much a service department with even more services, if you think about it. So you basically get a four-bed apartment. So, I don't know, more than 2,000 square feet probably, which is hard to come by anywhere in the world now. Um, so you'd get a master bedroom, you get you know a few other bedrooms. And on the hour throughout the day, apart from obviously when you're sleeping, there will be people coming to help clean the whole place, to sanitize the whole place, uh, to take out, you know, dirty nappies and things like that. And I think the doctor comes with a team of nurses like a few days, I mean, a few times a day to make sure you're okay. They also look at the mother's nutrition, especially because, you know, she'll be breastfeeding you know, in China, obviously, it will be according to Chinese medicinal principles. What what really stuck with me was the idea that you have to eat 30 chickens in that month. So one chicken a day. I read this and I didn't know if it was true. So I'm really glad you brought it up. Um, the 30 <laughs> chicken tradition. Because there's yeah. supposed to be properties, right, that are, again, mm-hmm. come back to the healing. And also the concept of hot and cold foods. So it's, yes. you're, you need to eat hot foods as it were so I know ginger Mm. is very important and I know there's also aspects of a mother shouldn't touch water directly she should have ginger water so she'll take baths in ginger water oh surely that burns I don't know we'll have to ask (laughs) um but yeah it's supposed to be very good for your skin but I've also heard that on the bathing front you're not supposed to wash your hair which is very interesting. And I wonder if how many women actually observe that today. I think we've talked about this, you know, in a non-podcast environment, actually, about hair washing. And 
I've always been told growing up, so number one, not to wash your hair before bedtime, because if it doesn't dry thoroughly, you will have headaches for the rest of your life. And you get a cold. I don't know if that's a myth medically, but that's what we were always told, that you don't wash it before bed and go to bed with wet hair. Yeah. And I think hair washing, remember I talked about this in Chinese New Year, like you're not meant to wash your hair on day one. So maybe I guess washing one's hair washes something else away, some kind of energy, maybe. Perhaps. I think on the food front as well, food is also very important in the Indian um, confinement period postpartum, because we believe there are certain foods that are rich in herbs and particularly things cooked in ghee, which is a clarified butter, um, are encouraged because, again, that is supposed to be like a good fat for the body. Um, this turmeric milk is also considered to be important. Um, lots of dried fruits, sesame. There's a special dessert that's typically made with semolina and ghee. Um, that is given to new mothers as well. So all in all, the whole aspect of confinement and given what we're going through at the moment, there seems to be a couple of things that are applicable to both. I think eating well, I think we can all agree that mm -hmm. as we're in this period, it's a chance to kind of slow down and be able to eat well and eat good foods, um, maybe that we don't get time uh, to cook or prepare otherwise and I think this is a very stereotypical view because it was very traditional gender roles but mothers not having to take care of their household I think being in the house predominantly most of the day at the moment you are kind of much more conscious right of all the things that you have to do within your home that sometimes are sort of outside out of mind and I guess social contact as well um, as I said in Japan Korea etc this aspect of confinement for new mothers, it extends to not seeing people outside your family. You know, you would see your mother, your partner um, and your baby, but they don't welcome visitors during this time in this period. Why is that? I think it's to do, I assume, to do with the baby's immunity and also the fact that in those first few weeks, you want to have uninterrupted time with your immediate family. So it's very much this idea of you stay indoors, you bond with your baby, um, it's a safe space, it's a, a clean environment, and you recover as well. And then you're ready to go out into the world. And certainly, I do know people even today that, you know, aren't from any of these cultures, but do stay indoors with their baby initially um, in the first mm. few weeks, and then they will start to venture out into the world. We know someone who um, whose wife had a baby in the last few years and I think that was what they did as well although you know they are not Asian and it it must be to do with this whole immunity idea and I, I find that a very interesting if you look at how people and I know quite a lot of people around me who've had babies in the last few years and from various cultural backgrounds. And I think it's so fascinating to see what decisions they make based on what cultures they're from. So almost without fail, all the Asian mothers, so Asian meaning the whole of Asia, including Chinese, they do seem to take a much more cautious approach to a new baby. I don't know if I'll be offending anyone, and I don't mean any offense, but all of the European mothers that I know they seem to be a bit more carefree about, oh, you know, it's fine for the baby to be in the sun. It's good to have more vitamin D. Whereas 
I know some Asian mothers who would just shield their baby like a vampire from any kind of glare. So I just find that quite interesting. I think we've talked about this previously. It's the traditions of what you grow up with. I read um, while I was researching for this topic about a lady who was a first generation Chinese immigrant to the US, but kept this lying in period or sitting period as, as it's called and basically said everybody thought she was basically a bit crazy <laughs> but she said and she goes I don't know why I did it other than it was what was expected of me and it's what mm. everybody in my family thought I should do you know she if she tried to go out with her baby her mother would sort of tut really disapprovingly um, and so other than going to the doctor or for medical visits she said I didn't leave the house for six weeks but she couldn't think of a reason why other than it was just what was ingrained within her yeah I mean I'm you know I'm all for people resting and recovering even from the day-to-day so I think it's generally if if you can th- there are practical things right be it you know financially or can you have this space for a whole month to do this restfully so there are practical considerations but for people who can I think it's a really good idea and to me a woman bearing a child for nine months and then giving birth to it is a monumental event and your body definitely needs to take a break and just heal I think this is a good thing to do yeah so wherever you are in the world we hope you are self-isolating safely and in accordance with all the guidance um, that's relevant for you and we hope you're all staying safe and well and it's not going to be forever yeah and we're thinking of you and we hope that this little podcast has given you something to do with all that extra time so thank you very much for listening this week and as we say we hope everybody's safe and well You've been listening to Culturally Speaking with music by Kevin McLeod. Please rate and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're on. Get in touch with us on Instagram at Culturally Speaking Podcast or via email. You'll find all the details in our show notes. Tune in next week for more culture. Until then, stay cultured.